This episode is sponsored by Tenuity. If your customer is streaming it, then they can measure it. Their patented machine learning tech is the tool for the job. Rethink performance with Tenuity, the largest independent performance marketing firm across streaming TV and the triopoly of Google, Meta, and Amazon. Find out how at rethinkperformance.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers Around the World, an e-marketer podcast made possible by Tenuity. It's Monday, January the 30th, and I'm your host for today, Bill Fisher, and it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you all to Around the World with Global Trends for 2023. Welcome, folks, to a behind-the-number show that takes you all around the world looking at what various countries are doing in the worlds of commerce, media, and advertising. Each month, I give you a global news recap, then I speak with a few of our regional experts to get their take on the main theme for today's show, and that's going to centre on our regional trend reports. We will be asking, why is retail media such a trending topic around the world, but not in China? But if you actually like look at China, this retail media thing has been around ever since Alibaba was founded about over 20 years ago. Will ad-supported media get a leg up in these troubling economic times? Audiences are more willing to tune in, if you will, to an ad-supported video-on-demand service than they were previously. What we're seeing now is AVOB become more popular, free ad-supported television becoming more popular. And will the TikTok train ever run out of steam? I think we can definitely see that continuing to pick up pace as we go forward. And I think if something is going to drive social commerce in the UK, I think we will see that coming from TikTok. Before we do anything else, though, it's a new year. It's a fresh slate. So we're going to try something new. I usually lead out with my Britishism at this point, but we're going to shift gears and give you something slightly more internationally focused, something we're calling culture shock. So I'm going to take you to various countries around the world and regale you with a quirky, culturally specific norm. Think Belgians putting mayonnaise on their fries, something like that. And for our first culture shock of the year, we're talking table manners and we're in Japan. Now, as an Englishman, I was taught from a very early age to keep my elbows off the table, never speak with my mouth full and always, always place the oyster fork on the right hand side of the table setting. Anyway, apparently in Japan, things are a little different. If you don't slurp when you're eating your noodles, it's considered the height of impoliteness. Yes, you're expected to get those noodles down quickly and with lots of noise. Much like swirling wine in a glass allows air to come into contact with the liquid and improve its fragrance and thus taste, so noodles are believed to taste better when you take them in with a healthy mouthful of air. Maybe my kids are onto something after all. I'll have to stop telling them off. Anyway, enough of that. On to one segment that we are sticking with. That's three in three, and that's next. I have three minutes to cover three interesting and related news stories we've seen in Around the World Towers this month. The timer is set. Let's go. We're heading to China first for Marvel's return to the box office. Cast your mind back to July 2019. The pandemic wasn't even on the radar, but Spider-Man was in China. The Far From Home movie premiered there that month, but little did we know at the time it would be the last Marvel movie to be shown in the country for three and a half years. But Black Panther Wakanda Forever will arrive on the big screens early next month. 
Eric Schwartzel, a film industry reporter for The Washington Journal, spoke with CNN about the importance of China for Marvel Studios. I mean, I think, think about it this way. You know, if you are making a movie these days, one of these Marvel superhero movies that costs upward of $200 million to produce, you need China to turn a profit very often. And to get But maybe Marvel is important to China too. Of course, China has been under some of the strictest COVID controls, but a move like this certainly makes clear that the country is now open for business again. Showing huge Western hits from the Disney-owned studio could certainly help kickstart its own media economy. Marvellous. Next, we're shrinking the screen and looking at management news at Netflix and a Korean push for new content. In Netflix's recent earnings call, Reed Hastings announced he would be stepping down as CEO, passing the baton to Greg Peters. Peters had been instrumental in rolling out the ad-supported tier on the platform and on the call. Company CFO Spencer Newman outlined the long-term plan for that part of the business. I just want to emphasize it's a multi-year path, so we're not going to be larger than Hulu in year one. But hopefully over the next several years, um, we can be at least as large and we wouldn't be getting into this business, obviously, Reed, if it, as you know, if it couldn't be a meaningful portion of our business. So planning to attract new users, the platform is betting on original content produced outside the US. South Korea in particular looks like a big bet. The company plans to roll out 34 new and returning titles from the region this year. Most new subscriber growth is coming from Asia Pacific, so there's that, but much viewership for content from Korea comes from outside the region. This kind of differentiation could be key to growing the business. Netflix is clearly playing the long game as well as the squid game. And finally, we're in the UK where illegal streamers are in the sights of law enforcement. A recent police operation in the west of England saw officers target a thousand households suspected of illegally streaming content, primarily Premier League soccer matches. Sky News Australia had more. Police suspect fans are using modified streaming fire sticks to stream the Premier League games illegally. Operation Radar will also involve spreading awareness on the consequences of watching of course, content. Netflix is about to crack down on password sharing, likely starting this quarter. The platform hasn't detailed how it will enforce this change in policy. Police haven't been mentioned. There was a trial in Peru last year, but it caused a lot of confusion among users and their understanding of what a household was. Streaming platforms are clearly getting serious about properly monetizing all users on and even off their books. Netflix and chill? More like Netflix and a much larger bill. Anyway, that's my three and three this month. And now I have another three for you, three of our brightest minds on the international desk at Insider Intelligence. First, let's say hi to our research analyst covering China and Japan. He is Manchung Zheng. Hey, Manchung. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Next is our UK-based retail specialist and senior analyst, Karina Perkins. Hello there, Karina. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? I'm good. Great to have you on the show. And finally, we have our principal analyst for Canada. It's Paul Briggs. Hi, Paul. Hey, Bill. It's uh, good to be back on the podcast. Always good to have you on the show. Right. We talked about streaming there. We'll get onto that in due course because it was something that came up in some of our regional trend reports this year, and that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take a look across these reports and examine some of the common trends. And I wanted to start with probably the most common one, and that is retail media. It was in most of the reports as something to really watch in 2023. Karina, you're our retail specialist. So I'll start with you. Why Why is this so big? Sure. So Obviously, Amazon was the first big retailer to really explore the retail media opportunity back in 2012. 
And we saw some retailers in the US were a bit quicker to follow its lead than a lot of regions elsewhere in the world. But since the pandemic, we've seen a big acceleration in the number of retailers in other regions launching retail media networks. And I think that's really down to a couple of things. Part of that is because we saw a big surge in online sales and e-commerce during the pandemic, which has obviously increased traffic to retailers' e-commerce sites. And it means that the buyers are now online and brands want to reach buyers wherever they are. But I think it's also down to retailers who are looking to boost their profits because their margins have come under real pressure from rising costs. In the UK, I think average retail margins sit at around 5% and estimations put retail media network margins anywhere between 40 and 80%. So it can obviously be quite lucrative for retailers. And from a brand perspective, there's a lot to be attractive about retail media. I think as they're looking for ways to create targeted, effective ad campaigns without relying on third-party cookies, obviously retail media enables them to access retailers' first-party data. And that's seen as a really big benefit of retail media by brands worldwide. You've also got closed-loop attribution and brands can reach customers at the point of purchase, which can really improve the effectiveness of campaigns. And I think that's something that's growing in importance as advertising budgets come under pressure. Okay, lots of stuff going on there. I can see why it's a big issue. Um, it, it's, it was in Paul's report. It was in Mateo's report for Latin America. wasn't in yours, Manchung. Why no mention of retail media for 2023? Yeah, there are actually quite a number of reasons, but I think... As far as I'm aware of, this term retail media actually came up just in the last few years. And just dialing back what happened in the past few years, you know, the pandemic, of course, you know, people travel less, they communicate less as a result. But if you actually like look at China, this retail media thing has been around ever since Alibaba was founded about over 20 years ago, right? So... For example, their site Taobao have always employed that this model of generating revenue through advertising and marketing rather than commission. So it's huge in China, but it's just that no one really talk about it. And if you look at, you know, other countries like Japan, of course, you have Rakuten. In Southeast Asia, there are a lot of local and regional players as well. Amazon is huge in India. So certainly it's a thing in impact that just no one is really talking about. And I think also one big difference is that, you know, it's mainly confined to the online space rather than the right. um, yeah. brick and mortar space, because I believe that it's still quite fragmented and not as advanced in terms of offline retail there. So yeah, th th these are some of the main reasons why people are not talking about it as much. Yeah. So e-commerce channel advertising, right, is what you're talking about. It, it sort of taking out all the other stuff, uh, like the bricks and mortar stuff as well, um, is already big, basically, is what you're saying. So it's kind of old hat. It's not a 2023 trend because it's it's been trending for a while. Yeah, in China, they just don't really have a term for it, but it's been around right. for a long time. Okay. So what is big in China in retail then? Because in your trend report, there is a retail trend in there. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think the biggest ones that have stood out in recent years is, of course, social commerce and more specifically the live streaming phenomenon that's been happening. It's been blowing up for the last three or four years, but 
Yeah, it's hitting a ceiling as well over there. And of course, retailers are thinking, you know, what is the next biggest opportunity? I think there are a few reasons why it might hit a ceiling because, you know, there's only so much that you can sell through a social stream until people really just kind of like get turned off by it, right? Also, each live stream session, there's only a limited number of products you can really push within that time frame. So people are saying that specifically Douyin, which is China version of TikTok, they're saying that within a two-year period that is going to hit a ceiling in China. And of course, in other parts of APAC, it's just, you know, slowly ticking off like Indonesia. It's still pretty small in Japan. Right. But I mean, if so, I asked after speaking to Karina, I asked you why retail media isn't a big trend in China this year. I guess talking about live stream commerce and social commerce, I could switch this and ask Karina and or Paul, why isn't that a big trend in your markets this year? Sure. I think the UK has, has lagged a bit on social commerce, really, uh, versus China, but also versus the US. I think our forecasts show that less than a quarter of the UK population were social buyers in 2022, and that's versus 39.2% in China and 36.6% in the US. So it's really not something that's caught on in quite the same way in the UK yet. I think specifically talking about live streaming, I think it's a very different form of commerce. And in the UK, we actually, it's quite an established and mature e-commerce market. And I think consumers have kind of long-standing habits now when it comes to how they're shopping online. And similarly, brands have long-standing habits when it comes to how they're selling online. So I think turning that ship around is going to take a little bit longer. And I think some of it also does come down to there's a, a bit more cynicism, I think, in the UK among UK consumers. And they're more likely to kind of question whether something is genuine and sort of get a bit less excited by selling hype. And I think to a certain extent that limits the appeal of live streaming for them. But we do see that it appeals to younger shoppers. I think there was a Klarna survey that showed that over a third of UK shoppers ages 18 to 24 have participated in live shopping events. So it might be something that gathers a little bit of momentum, but I wouldn't say it's a huge trend yet. Yeah, we're banking on the youngsters, eh? Okay, right. I want to move on to our next common theme. This appeared in a few reports too in various guises, and I alluded to it in the news segment. Streaming, by whatever means, is still a big story around the world. Paul, you covered this from a couple of angles in Canada. What was the story there? Yeah, so the two angles in the trend report were the first one was the growth in the connected TV advertising space, so that also known as CTV advertising, which is a measurement of the investment in advertising for, you know, ad supported video on demand and other ad supported streaming services. So the big story there is that in Canada, that CTV ad market will surpass one billion Canadian dollars for the first time. So one billion dollars, how big is that compared to, say, TV? So that's about one third the uh, the size of the TV ad market. So all told, CTV is is claiming a bigger share of total television advertising, and the gap between connected TV and linear TV is going to close uh, in the coming years. The other thing, from a streaming standpoint, that we covered in the trend report was a more of a consumer focus. So we have data from Angus Reid in Canada looking at the number of subscription video on demand services that people typically have in their household. 
what we saw last year was a reduction in the number. So a lot of people had three or four different uh, subscriptions to Netflix, to Disney Plus, Apple Plus, et cetera. Crave is a local Canadian uh, streaming service as well. But because of a variety of factors, one is probably economic driven in terms of people being more penny pinching for their entertainment dollar. So they're reducing the number of services they have in the home. And that certainly has an impact on how advertisers are uh, are targeting people who are streamers. Yeah, cost of living crisis, right? We've got that over here, yep. Karina, haven't we? <laughs> uh, but what about in Asia Pacific? Is the situation the same over there or is there less of an economic issue with regards to streaming? Yeah, so my understanding is that most of the streaming platform actually grew up with the ad-supported model. And yeah. as people grew richer, you know, customer grew richer, they're trying to get into the subscription model. So it's sort of like the reverse right. in Asia Pacific versus in the West. But, you know, we see players like Netflix, you know, Amazon Prime Video making some headways in Asia Pacific. And I think Netflix is probably the leading foreign streaming platform. And they have introduced the S-ported tier to several markets like Japan, Korea, and Australia. But yeah, there is very competitive there. On top of these Western platform, of course, XBO Max is not really quite there yet. And Disney Plus is, you know, it's still fairly small in Asia Pacific. But on top of that, we have these local players. So it's a really competitive landscape over there in Asia Pacific. Yeah. So if we can go back to Netflix, so the ad supported tier is obviously an important part of their strategy going forward. It was mentioned in the news segment that I covered there, but we haven't got Mateo on the call today covering LATAM. He's on holiday, the lucky chap. But looking at, at Latin America, Netflix has seen a drop in subscriber numbers since this ad-supported tiers come in. So this strategy might not be having the immediate impact. But as I said in the new segment, it does look like a long game that it's going for. Paul, what was your view on the longer-term strategy for Netflix and its ad-supported tier? Yeah, I think um, so. The, I think the drop in subscribers in various markets, LATAM specifically, could also be related to the paid sharing policy that they're testing and will roll out to many markets. I think that paid sharing condition for subscribers will have a suppressive impact on growth. I think that's, you know, people are not going to be able to share their passwords as freely as uh, they have traditionally with Netflix. As it relates to the ad supported tier in Canada, there's no data that exists that can quantify how much people or advertisers have invested in the first three or four months of availability of advertising on Netflix. But what I can tell you is audiences are more willing to tune in, if you will, to an ad supported video on demand service than they were previously. So the first generation of streaming video was really about subscriptions and Netflix was the, the epitome of that model. What we're seeing now is AVOB become more popular, free ad supported television becoming more popular. So. Pluto TV launched in Canada in December, and we're seeing a whole host of other free streaming services that are ad-supported launch in Canada. And I think it's really good news for advertisers who were previously cut out from cord cutters who had a subscription video on demand service that did not contain any ads. So overall, video inventory is increasing, and that's uh, that's good news. Yeah. Okay, right. I want to move on because we've got more to fit in. I want to get on to the final trend theme and it's social media related. Again, social was covered in various guises, but I want to start with TikTok. Paul, you and I both covered this in our trend reports and we have our own social user 
reports going live as we speak as well. But let's just look at TikTok first. It's still on the radars of many people in many regions. Why is that? Why is it still trending in 2023? Well, TikTok in Canada just made a, a big leap in 2023. It's going to be the number three highest used platform in terms of number of users in the country. So we in Canada, we rank five top tier platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and Twitter. And this year, 2023 was the first time that TikTok kind of vaulted into that number three spot. And a lot of that had to do with Twitter as well. Twitter, we project they're going to lose some users in Canada. So they're down in the fifth spot. But TikTok's rise is continuing. And what we're seeing from advertisers is a greater willingness to test things out on the platform, to partner with influencers and creators on the platform to really try to engage with younger consumers, especially Gen Z. Yeah, and that's an important word you use there as well, engage, because engagement's a big thing with TikTok, right? We've, so we, we've had the social user reports come out. We just had the UK time spent forecast finalized and the time spent that users of TikTok are spending on the platform, I should say, is really high compared to everything else, right? It's, it's around about an hour nearly in the UK, whereas other platforms, it's much lower, 30, 40 minutes at most. And so it's that building that engagement, right? Yeah, I had some third-party data in Canada, not uh, not our forecast data shows that significantly higher, like, you know, roughly 17 hours weekly for some consumers. And the average overall for social media is about 11 hours. So that's significantly higher than engagement on all the other platforms as well. Yeah, and social and TikTok in particular allows us to kind of circle back quite nicely to our first theme in a way, the, the retail aspect. And we, we've already covered a little bit with social commerce, Manchung, you mentioned. But Karina, TikTok and commerce in the UK maybe hasn't been as successful as the company had hoped. Do you see maybe a, a brighter or brightish future for TikTok commerce in the coming year? Yeah, absolutely. I think it wasn't necessarily unsuccessful. I think that's probably judging it a bit harshly. But I think, like we said, you know, the UK has some pretty entrenched e-commerce habits and it was always going to take a bit of time for that to develop and grow. So I think certainly some of the live streaming has been a little bit slower to pick up. But we are seeing this wave of TikTok describes it as community commerce. And it's really being driven by users, content creators on TikTok, recommending brands and creating content about brands and that then going viral. And then brands are able to use some of the functionality of TikTok shop and their social commerce functionality to really capitalize on that. So I think we can definitely see that continuing to pick up pace as we go forward. And I think if something is going to drive social commerce in the UK, I think we will see that coming from TikTok. Okay, right. We could talk about this for much longer, but we don't have a lot of time left. And I want to do something because uh, I've asked you guys to prepare for it and it would be a shame not to include it. So I asked each of you to come prepared today with a trend or prediction that you think might be a long shot for 2023, but isn't beyond the realms of reason. Now, to be clear, this isn't something that's necessarily endorsed by by the company line. Its aim is to be a little bit provocative, so do bear that in mind, listeners. So I'm just looking for a couple of sentences explaining what your long shot prediction is and briefly what you're thinking behind it is. Uh, let's start with Paul. Sure. Yeah, I think I begin some thought to this. I wrote about it as well in, uh, in our social users report. The idea that subscription-based social media services will gain traction and will start to shift the primary reliance of social networks away from advertising to these subscriptions. So a couple of examples. One is is Twitter Blue. Now, Twitter is going through 
a world of troubles right now. And if they can manage to, you know, avoid the worst case scenario, perhaps Twitter Blue will gain a large enough subscription base. It may not happen in 2023. It could take several years, but it could remove that business's primary reliance on advertising. And that might be better for the experience on the platform in the long term. The other example is Snapchat Plus, which launched something similar last summer. So we're starting to see this particular strategy from social networks. And perhaps in 2023, it'll have a material impact on their businesses. Interesting. Manchung, what have you got for me? Yeah, so the big story out of China is the abolishment of the zero COVID policy, right? You know, they had been in lockdown and constant mass COVID testing for three years that just made a sudden U-turn from that to, you know, literally no like control measure whatsoever. So a lot of people are betting that the retail will bounce back fairly quickly, which is possible to me is highly unlikely. I think it's going to take a little bit longer. There is also this saving grace that people did save up 827 billion US dollars in the past three years. So that's equal to about 13% of total retail for a year. So that's a lot of money saved up, but it's going to take a little bit longer. I would say 2024 for that retail sales to get that jump from that, the removal of the COVID-19 travel restriction. So that's my long shot. Okay, interesting. And Karina, what about you? Okay, so ever the optimist, I'm going to predict that we're going to see a bit of a stabilization in the macroeconomic backdrop in 2023. So we are certainly in the UK, we're going to still see a very constrained economy. There's no getting away from that. But I'm predicting and hoping that things are going to just be slightly less chaotic. And my reasoning behind that is that we seem to have seen a peak in inflation. We're starting to see energy prices come back down. We will hopefully have a little bit more political stability in this country. We went through a lot of prime ministers last year. So hopefully that's going to be a bit more stable. Labour shortages, unfortunately for workers, as unemployment rises, that's going to balance out the labour market, which is going to be a help for some businesses. Supply chain disruptions, we're starting to see some of the factors that led to that ease a little bit. Firms are starting to adapt. Also, we've got the lifting of uh, COVID controls in China, which is going to help with some of those supply chain disruptions. And consumer spending, although without doubt we're seeing people cutting back on discretionary spend and the cost of living crisis is going to have an impact in 2023, it is holding up a little bit better than expected. So I am cautiously positive that while things will still be a bit of a tough slog in 2023, they are going to be slightly more settled. Awesome. I I liked all three of those. They were all quite optimistic and i like optimism it's a good way to end the show because it is time to end the show unfortunately Uh, it's been a blast karina thanks for joining me thanks for having me back bill paul a pleasure as always thanks bill and manchung you know how much i love your apac insights thanks for sharing hey that was fun thanks for having me and thanks to all of you for listening in today to around the world an e-marketer podcast made possible by tenuity tune in tomorrow for our behind the numbers daily show hosted by marcus If you want to ask us any questions, you can, of course, email us at podcast at emarketer.com. I hope to see you all next month for another edition of Behind the Numbers Around the World. It would only be polite of you to join me. Just don't slurp. Bye for now.